morning, everybody. It is Trinity Sunday. Uh, it's not something we uh, have paid a lot of attention to in many of our church traditions, but today we want to give a bit of room to imagine and to explore, to sit with story and scripture and to consider our response this morning to the mystery of the one we call God, who has been revealed to us in three persons. Uh, as we prayed in our opening prayer this morning, let us shape a space for the three. And that's, uh, that's what I wanna do today, but first a story. Uh, most of you know that uh, a month ago, we as a church were officially released from the Mennonite Brethren denomination. And this was due to our third way posture with regard to the inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons. And when we landed in that place, we requested to be released. And so the vote to uphold our request was held at the BCMB convention on Saturday, May 1, and it passed. Um, I was on to preach the next morning. So I sat there in my office with uh, big emotions swirling around and it didn't take long to become clear that I wasn't going to preach the sermon that I'd started earlier in the week. So I pivoted and instead offered a sermon share, which I called goodbyes. Many of you have seen that it lives on YouTube and our podcast. If you haven't yet, um, I tried to name both grief and gratitude and to express a longing for the church to live into the unity Jesus desires for us. Something else happened that Saturday afternoon when Artisan ceased to be MB. Let me take you back to the moment of me sitting in my office. Uh, the vote had passed. I had anticipated it, but now the reality was setting in and I thought the tears were over for a while, but I just started sobbing. And so I sat there in my chair and I started to panic a bit because the clock is ticking and I don't know what to do about the sermon. So I utter a famous Anne Lamott one word prayer, just to bring back of Anne Lamott here in this season. The prayer, help, help. And I also realize that I'm hungry. And <laughs> now not everyone responds to stress in the same way. Uh, some people can't eat, don't wanna eat. Uh, but if there's anything COVID has taught me, it's that my default stress response is definitely to eat. Uh, plus it was about 1.30 in the afternoon. So this wasn't only stress eating, there was legit, you know, felt in the body hunger going on, I assure you. So I open up my Railtown Cafe app on my phone and I order a sandwich and I start walking over and I'm still repeating the same one word prayer in my heart, help, help, please God help. And so I head down the stairs at Alexander Center and I start walking away from the building toward Railtown Cafe. Uh, if you know the neighborhood, you know it takes about three minutes if you walk quickly. And it was a sunny day, so I took my time. It felt good to be uh, in some fresh air after a very long Zoom call for the convention. And we're close to the water where there's typically a bit of a breeze and that day was no exception. And then I heard some music, just faintly. And I look up and I see uh, a homeless man who often hangs out uh, on that stretch of Railway Avenue. And I'd seen him before. He was sitting in a wheelchair as he usually does. And so I get closer, I say hi, and I realize he's singing along to a small handheld radio or it could be a phone, I'm not sure. And I know the song. What song is it, you ask? It's The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. I kid you not. 
the very first song I heard when MB convention was over, the first lyrics I heard after the vote was cast were, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. And I immediately start laughing and crying at the same time. I was like, are you kidding me? Oh my God, this is too incredible. You cannot make this stuff up. You know what I mean? That moment quickly led to the clarity I needed regarding sermon. And I'm relating to the story, this story to my spiritual director this last week. <laughs> uh, laughing, through laughter and this combination of laughter and tears, much like I am now. And he invited me to return to that moment in my imagination and to listen for what that experience held for me, what the gifts might've been. And what arose in my awareness was that I'd asked for help and minutes later I got song lyrics and not just any lyrics, I got the gambler. <laughs> the gift was a sense of God saying, I see you, I know you and I get you. Um, a sense of the spirit whispering tenderly, I know. I know this is hard and weird and, 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 and just to show you that I know, I want you to hear the words of an old country song sung by one of your homeless neighbors. The gift was an awareness of being not just understood, but loved. The gift was laughter and a levity that lifted me at a moment when grief was threatening to drag me down and incapacitate me, to engulf me. Now, I didn't have words to say all of that during the session. These are some things that have arisen within me since, but I said some of it. And then my spiritual director smiled and said, wow, Nelson, aren't those moments amazing? The ones that are like icons or portals, not quite a burning bush, but close. I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Those undeniable moments when God says, I'm with you, you're not alone. Then he said, uh, have you ever read Frederick Buechner's reflection on coincidence? I hadn't, I knew exactly where I could find it. I have the book, Wishful Thinking, and it's like this glossary of different terms and I've quoted him a lot over the years. Here's what he said about coincidence. And this quote is on screen. I, I think of a person I haven't seen or thought of for years. And 10 minutes later, I see her crossing the street. I turn on the radio and hear a voice reading the biblical story of JL, which is the story that I've spent the morning writing about. A car passes me on the road and its license plate consists of my wife's and my initials side by side. When you tell people stories like that, their usual reaction is to laugh. One wonders why. I believe that people laugh at coincidence as a way of relegating it to the realm of the absurd and of therefore not having to take seriously the possibility that there is a lot more going on in our lives than we either know or care to know. Who can say what it is that's going on? But I suspect that part of it anyway is that every once in so often we hear a whisper from the wings that goes something like this you've turned up in the right place at the right time. You're doing fine. Don't ever think 
that you've been forgotten. When I read that, I cried a few more tears, kind of mostly happy ones this time. I don't know what you make of my story, whether you believe God custom presented the answer to my prayer through a Kenny Rogers tune or not. I'm, I'm going to keep choosing to believe that burning bushes still appear when we're not necessarily expecting them. Maybe we've asked for help, maybe we haven't, but I'm convinced that our lived experiences can and do become icons, doorways, portals, windows through which we might see something of the divine presence and through which God might also see us, even as I felt seen in that moment. Now, scripture is full of such stories, iconic moments where people encounter the divine. Theologians have a fancy term for it. They call it theophanies, simply meaning appearances of the transcendent triune God to a human person or persons. Now there's the actual burning bush, of course, where Moses encountered the angel of the Lord, heard him speak. At the other end of the biblical record, there's Jesus appearing as a stranger to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. There's the intensification of the spirit at Pentecost, appearing among the early Jesus community as wind and fire. Also, sidebar, you may notice last week already, I prefer words like intensification instead of coming when I think about Acts 2. And the reason for that is while scripture does use language of sending and giving and pouring out the spirit in reference to the Pentecost event, it is far from the first time the Holy Spirit shows up in the Bible. There are several instances where we read of the Spirit. Genesis 1 verse 2, the second verse in all of Scripture, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters before the world was formed. In Exodus 31, the first human said to be filled with the Spirit was a guy called Bezalel, who happened to be an artist, a craftsperson. And then there was that time all three persons of the Godhead showed up in an Old Testament story. Do you remember it? Let's hear it together. It's found in Genesis 18 from verses 1 to 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sias of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you 
about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> oh man, I love this story. There's just so much going on. Can you picture the scene? It's visceral, it's almost cinematic. God journeys to the tent of Abraham to what one writer called the doorstep of his life. Love that image of the tent as the doorstep of your life. Three visitors show up, uninvited, unannounced. And the text bounces back and forth between singular and plural in describing the visitors from men to the Lord representing the never spoken Hebrew name of God. Three men come, but the Lord appeared to Abraham. They ask Abraham where his wife is, then the Lord announces that she will bear a son. At the end of the story, the men leave while Abraham continues to stand before the Lord. I love how Frederica Matthews Green summed up the scene. She said, whatever is going on here is complicated, <laughs> understatement. And scripture doesn't give us enough information to be sure we have it all straightened out. This much we rely on. The three men or angels who appeared to Abraham are a visitation by the Lord. God appeared in the form of three persons. Somehow, in some way, these three are one Lord. Many of us have likely seen this piece of art before. It's, it's one of my favorites. And fittingly, it has three names that, that are commonly associated with it. One is the hospitality of Abraham. One is the Trinity. And others in some traditions, they call it Old Testament Trinity. I love the specificity of that. And it just kind of shakes you and go like, wait a minute, Jesus and the spirit don't show up until then. Wait, what? The Old Testament Trinity? Now I called it art, but that's not entirely accurate. The, spe the specific artistic mode Old Testament Trinity belongs to is an icon. Now icons are an element of worship that seem mysterious and perhaps even suspect to most of the Western world, but they are a central aspect to the Orthodox tradition in the East, and they have been for centuries. One writer said, icons are more than standalone examples of Christian art. They are vital companions in the household of faith. Vital companions. Now an icon is meant to point beyond itself. An icon invites the viewer not only to look at, but to look through like a window toward the deeper reality it is pointing toward. This icon, for example, invites us to a sense of both the beyond and to the communion that already exists. It's a bit more about this icon. 
It was created by Russian iconographer Andrei Rublev in the year 1411. So what is that? It's like over 600 years old. The abbot of his monastery was the beloved spiritual father, St. Sergius of Radonez. When St. Sergius died, Rublev painted this icon to hang over St. Sergius's tomb in the cathedral at the monastery. Uh, Rublev created many beautiful icons, but the Trinity is acclaimed as his masterpiece. It is the icon of icons for so many. And the original is still on display at a gallery in Moscow. There's a story about one artist becoming a follower of Jesus just from gazing at this icon. The, the artist apparently exclaimed, if that's the nature of God, then I'm a believer. Now, since icons haven't been part of my tradition, I've needed help from others to see what they've been seeing for centuries. So let me share a few reflections I've gleaned from people who are more familiar with what's going on here. There are three primary colors which illustrate facets of the Holy One, all contained in the three. So Rublev considered gold the color of the Father. This is the figure on the left. The, the, the color of perfection, of fullness, of wholeness, uh, the ultimate source. And notice that the figure on the left is raising his hand to bless the other two and that their heads are tilted in deference toward uh, the, the figure of the father. Rublev considered blue the color of the human, both sea and sky mirroring one another and therefore God in Christ taking on the world, taking on humanity. Thus Rublev pictures the Christ in blue in the center, displaying his two fingers to tell us that he has put spirit and matter, divinity and humanity together within himself and for us. Notice also how the, the son's two fingers are a gesture toward the chalice of sacrifice that sits at the foreground of the table. And then there's green, easily representative of the spirit. Hildegard of Bingen, a German Benedictine abbess and writer and mystic, living three centuries before Rublev, called the spirit's endless fertility and fruitfulness veriditas. Veriditas, a quality of divine aliveness that makes everything blossom and bloom in endless shades of green. I love that in the movie version of the shack, Sarayu, the depiction of the spirit is a gardener. Rublev, in similar reverence for the natural world, chose green to represent, as it were, the divine photosynthesis that grows everything from within and by transforming light into itself precisely the work of the Holy Spirit. Something I had not seen before, I have an actual physical copy of this icon in my office, but was this observation that all three carry identical staffs. They're very faint in red. You can kind of see them if you look really close, even at this image. And this indicates their mutual authority. Matthews Green said, this icon is beloved because of its harmonious form and color and because it conveys lightness and energy without a hint of sentiment. The Holy One in the form of three, eating and drinking an infinite hospitality and utter enjoyment between themselves. 
if we take the depiction of God and the Trinity seriously, we have to say, in the beginning was the relationship. In the beginning was the relationship. Back to the story. So that this relationship that was in the beginning arrives at the doorstep of Abraham's life and immediately Abraham kicks into hospitality mode. He begs them to stay, which they do. And he goes to work making space for the three, brings water so they can wash their feet, prepares bread and meat and curds and milk. Now, preparing um, some meat is going to take some time. So they're sitting there for a while and waiting for this. I don't know whether the meat or the curds and the milk were appetizer and whether they had a whole bunch, you know, number of hours of conversation while they were waiting. I don't know. But the three sit down with Abraham over food, over food. Can you wait till we can share food together at the same table? Then this God shows up, this God who comes to us and dines with us, and he makes promises, makes promises. The Lord, precisely as these three unexpected visitors, makes promises about impossible things. Sarah and Abraham are a hundred years old. <laughs> and the three say, you're gonna have a kid, a son. It's such an outrageous promise that Sarah laughs in disbelief and probably some surprise. It's probably mixed with a, a subconscious and expectant maternal joy a fire whose embers have never completely died away. I can imagine that her laughter also holds deep sorrow from decades past when in her childbearing years, she longed and prayed and shed tears for a son of her own. The three-in-one God shows up. The three-in-one God makes promises and there is laughter. There's laughter. <laughs> My friend Ken Tanner commenting on this story said, forget the complexities and controversies of Trinitarian theology. The mystery and beauty of the triune God is best disclosed in the stories the scriptures tell about the Trinity. Stories indeed. This story is a burning bush moment. It's a portal opening up in the real world where real people are offered a glimpse of a real God. And the Lord asks why Sarah laughs. She's afraid, so she denies it. I did not laugh, she says. <laughs> and what God says next has to be one of the best lines in scripture. I just love it. It's so understated and beautiful and hilarious. Yes, you did laugh. There's no hint of anger or condescension or condemnation. I totally imagine a wink and a smile. Nine months from today, we're going to be getting close to spring of 2022. Maybe, maybe we will have had another church retreat. Nine months after this strange drop by from three travelers who always keep their promises, Sarah has a boy, an heir, whom God names Isaac, meaning son of laughter. 
are we seeing here how God baptizes Sarah's laughter? Ken Tanner again. Perhaps laughter around a table with friends feels sometimes like someone stopped keeping track of time because these fleeting moments help us remember that the triune life who said, let us make humanity in our image, who in this Lord journeys from eternity to become human, has time for us all. And their time is not bound by time, is a kind of life. If we can get our heads around this, that never ends. The triune life makes time to journey to the door of our existence makes time to sit down and dine with us, makes time to make us promises. Whew. So one question, as we conclude and we draw near to the table together, how might we shape a space for the three in our individual and shared lives? How might we shape a space for the three in our individual and shared lives? I want to invite you to take a brief moment to be still together, to sit in your imagination with this scene, perhaps to revisit this story this week, to look up the icon and to be with it in prayer. Let's be still for a moment. And then I'm going to invite us to say together the prayer that we used at the beginning of today's gathering. And then I'll briefly invite us to the table. So let's be still for a brief moment. So lovelies, let us together again speak this prayer. Um, let it reflect some of the intention of your heart today and uh, invite you to speak it with me. Let us shape a space for the three, the spirit as breath of life, the bread as food of heaven, the love in relationship, let us shape a space that tangles all three through our life and our worship, held in relationship and met here. Let us shape a space for the many faces of God woven together and revealed in each of us. On this Trinity Sunday, let us shape a space to be found together in worship.